This morning, um, I've been led to begin a series of messages going through the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to go all the way through the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to pick it apart completely, so I promise you, those of you that like to study your word, you're going to see things that I skip over that you're going to look at. I do it when Nick's preaching, Nick does it when I'm preaching. You're going to see things and you're going to go, man, you missed this right here. And so I, I know that, and, but, um, but I pray that you would understand that I feel led to go a certain direction with this series, and the whole book of Ephesians covers it. And so I pray that you just stick with me as we go through it. Today is uh, more of an introduction, but um, it is going to lead to um, helping us be able to truly see the value of the church, the importance of the church, the, um, the purpose of the church. Why do we do this? I mean, why, why are we here and what are we trying to accomplish? And so it is my prayer today that as we begin this, that you keep that in mind, that we're trying to see what is the value in what we do week after week after week as we join together and we gather together as believers. I, I have a burden for this because um, I actually... Um, up until just a few days ago, I had been preparing a, a series of messages through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever spoken by the greatest preacher who ever lived, Jesus Christ himself. And, and, and I had been planning that for a long time now. Um, I'm not going to tell you that God changed um, his mind, but I am going to tell you that here in the last few days, God has really been changing and stirring, changing my mind and stirring in my heart. And so this is my burden for this. You know, we, um, we live in a culture, in a uh, generation, and I'm not getting on the millennium trip, but we live in a culture and a generation today that has truly lost any true um, seeing any value in the gathered body of believers. Now, yeah, there's people that still have the conviction and the heart to, to go to church in a building where people are gathered. But to actually be part of the church, I'm seeing very, I'm seeing little and little of that as every day goes by. As a pastor, I don't want you to hear this message this morning. I don't want you to hear me up here griping at you, or because I promise you, that's not my intention. It's really not. Matter of fact, I want to brag on you. You know, yesterday we had all kind of things going on in different directions. And I'll be honest with you, when messages were going out for things, I thought, man, we're never going to be able to, I mean, we just can't do all this. And then I show up to our little thing we were doing yesterday morning, and there was loads of people there. I show up to... Um, I didn't show up, but I saw the pictures last night of what Nick and them were doing, and loads of people were there to help. And so I want to tell you that um, I'm thankful for you as my family. I'm thankful that we yoke up together and we do this together. But I also want to instill something in you and your children through this, through this series of messages that that continues. And that not only does it continue, but we can grow it. And we can actually see why we're here. So that we're not just coming out of tradition and something that we, if we don't do it, we feel bad about it. Um, that's not what I'm looking for. And that's not what God's looking for. He's looking for enthusiasm from His children, being together as a family, growing one another in their faith, 
growing one another in their worship, encouraging one another, provoking each other to love and to good works and, and to Christ-likeness. And so I want to see that purpose be developed in our minds. You know, it seems like today that um, we have found so many other things to call church. You'll hear some people say, well, and I, I don't mean this to anything that the ministry was doing yesterday because that's a great Christian ministry. But just as an example, you, you've, I'm sure you've heard people say, well, my church is in the woods. Or, or my church is, is on the lake. I'm, I'm just never closer to God than I am when I'm... And what I want to be able to show you from the book of Ephesians throughout this whole series, I want to be able to show you that apart from the gathering of believers using their gifts with intended purpose in their mind to actually minister to one another in the hopes of nourishing and cherishing faith in Christ. Apart from that gathered group with that gathered purpose, it's not church. I don't care how close to God you feel. I don't care how much worship you think you can get on. It's not church, and I'll prove it to you from this book of Ephesians. I want to start this morning at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. I want to read these very quickly so that I can get to my message. So if I track fast, or if I run fast, I pray you track fast with me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. You are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So you're being built, right? Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Listen to me. Yes, each and every one of us are individual temples for the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me tell you what God's design for the church is. God's design for the church is when we are being built on the teachings of the apostles, on the teachings of the prophets, that's the church. The church is when you are being joined together for the purpose of growing into a temple for the Lord to dwell in. That's the church. And yes, it begins with individuals that do this, but it doesn't stop with individuals. The true purpose of the church is God's family joined together with the same mindset that yes, we're different. Yes, we are not alike in many ways. Yes, we clash in many different things. There are times that you don't like me and there are times I don't like you. I love you though. Christ loves me. There are times that I'm sure that I disappoint Him. There are times that I don't do exactly like I should. But He keeps giving me grace. Moment after moment, day after day. And what I want you to see is that God meant to put together people of differences, not sameness. A church is not made up of a group that can come together and say, well, we all have this in common. We all like motorcycles or we all like horses or we all like... That's not what a church revolves around. Can we fellowship in those things? Absolutely. 
but the church revolves around people of different places, different circumstances, different races, all types of tongues and, and tribes that come together for the common purpose of we have Christ in common. That's what we have in common. And as a result of that, we are growing together and helping one another grow into this temple that God has formed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. i got to go quicker. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord... I'm sorry. Yeah, let me read it. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here's the point that you need to see in all this. He put us together so that we would have to practice humility, long-suffering, patience, all these things. Because those are Christ-like qualities, what he has to do with us every day, right? And he put us all together for the purpose of being able to give us gifts. Remember, it says, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. And he says, I'm going to gift each one of them. And I'm going to put them together for the purpose of growing them. So let's move on to verse um, 11 of that same chapter. And he gave the apostles. Here's some of the gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. He gave all kind of gifts to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all maintain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together. Let me say that one more time. From whom the whole body joined and held together by what every joint supplies and is equipped with, we each working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's the point that I want you to see from Ephesians. Y'all listen closely. Everybody look at me. Sleepy eyes up. The church is God's plan A for your sanctification in Him, and there is no plan B. Let me say that one more time just in case you missed it because I'm going to blow an old heresy out of water here in just a minute. The church is God's plan for your sanctification, and there is not a plan B. This is God's plan. This is what He put together. And I know that many times you're like me. You look at it and you go, but I don't like it. Yeah, I understand that. Because of our flesh and because of what we deal with, there's times I don't like it either. 
But let me tell you something. This is God's plan. And there is not a plan B. Now why do I tell you that? Because I want you to understand the old, hair, the old saying that goes, You don't have to go to church to be saved. If you're talking about a building that you come to, you're right. You don't have to come to this building to be saved. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is no sanctification outside of God's plan. And God's plan is the gathered body of believers that come together using their gifts to one another, being long-suffering, gentle, kind, humility. That's God's plan. Y'all tracking with me? And so, yes, you don't have to come to this building to be saved. But I'm telling you right now, I would stand toe-to-toe with you with any Bible you want to bring to me and tell you if you think you can actually be saved and sanctified in Jesus Christ apart from being an active part of the church. No, you can't. Because that's not God's plan. And so again, I don't want you to hear some babbling pastor up here trying to get more people to come to church. That's not my intention. I'm hoping that you can see from the Word of God, not a pastor's opinion, from the Word of God that this is what God designed. And this is the way He designed it. And if we want to be what God is calling us to be, can we do it outside of God's design? No, we can't. And so it is my prayer that you can see the value of the importance. And not only that, but you can do like Paul, because as we go through Ephesians, you're going to see the second part of next week's message is Paul's thankfulness for the church. Paul is grateful for it. It's not a burden. He don't look at it in all of the troubles that it has and goes, man, I can't, I, it's, just, it's just too much. He never does that. He is so thankful for what God put together. And he's so thankful that he gets to be a part of it. And it's my prayer that through Ephesians we can see the value and the importance of the church, but we can also come to be thankful for the church and thankful that I'm a part of it and thankful that God has called me to be a part of it. So with that being said, let's begin. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is a letter to the church and Ephesians is a letter about the church. The book of Ephesians, if you were actually back up far enough to be able to look at the whole of it, one of the things that you would see is that the first three chapters are about the doctrine and the beliefs of the church. The last three chapters, so one through three, is the doctrine and the beliefs of the church. Paul comes on the scene and he wants the church to understand this is who you are and this is what God has called you to. And this is what we believe about Christ and about the Father and about the Spirit and about the church and about how we got here. And then he moves from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6 and he says, okay, based on all that doctrine and belief, then now I'm begging you, put it into practice. And this is the practical application of those doctrine and beliefs. And so if you want to study it for yourself, go home and look at it. One through three... The doctrine and the beliefs of the church. Four through six, how do we live it out? This is the two parts of the book of Ephesians. So it is a letter to the church and it is a letter about the church. 
And so because of that, that's why I think it's important we cover this whole book and go through it um, as detailed as we can without missing uh, too much of it. We're going to begin our series today in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. We're going to be talking about who God declares the church to be. In other words, when God looks at you, not when I look at you, but when God looks at you, who does He declare that you are? Because see, it don't matter who I say you are. I can look at, I can look at Johnny and say, well, old Johnny Thompson's just this and this and this. This is who Johnny is. And Johnny can look at me and say, well, this, that's who Kevin is and that's who Kevin Wells is and I, I know who he is. But let me tell you something. God sees something that Johnny can't see. And God sees something in Johnny that I can't see. And so who does God declare that you are apart from what anybody else has to say? This is what we're going to find out. Paul begins by introducing himself as Paul. I'm the author. Y'all know the history of Paul. Paul was a man that... Um, did, did Paul deserve to be chosen by God? Was Paul doing such great work in the Christian faith that God said, I want him? No, actually just the opposite of that, right? What was Paul doing? Paul was killing people like you and me. Holding the clothes of men as they stoned people preaching this gospel. And so Paul comes on the scene first. He says, listen, I'm a part of this church and not only am I a part of it, I'm an apostle. But it's not by my choice. Instead, look what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by what? The only reason I am here is because of the will of God for my life. Guys, let me tell you something I know about Kevin Wells. If it were up to me and anything in my heart and anything about who I am, I wouldn't be here today. But by the will of God, by the will of God and that alone, I am where I am and I am who I am. And so that's the first thing that Paul wants to point out to you is that the apostle who writes this was called to lay the foundations of the Christian church not by anything that I am, not by anything I brought to the table, but by the will of God and that alone. And then he moves on. He wants you to understand that these are saints that he's writing to. The first point I want you to write down this morning is God declares you to be saints. None of us are I don't think conceited enough to actually look at ourselves and go, yep, I'm a saint. I think every one of us could look at ourselves this morning and go, if anybody out there were to put a definition by my name, it would not be saint. There are many things about me that are not saintly. And so the first thing that God wants you to understand through the Apostle Paul is that he has made the church up of saints. He declares that you are saints. Listen, you're saints if you are called to be in Christ and your sins have been washed by His blood. And that alone. See, here's the problem we have today. The Catholic doctrine has tainted the word saints. And so today, because of the, the, the huge denomination of the Catholic faith, because of their understanding of what a saint is, they have elevated this status to a place of someone who displays so much great sacrifice, self-sacrifice. And they give everything they have to others and because of what they do or what they are doing or what they did or what they have done, 
because of that and that alone, then the Pope either looks at you and declares and, 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 and actually canonizes you to be a saint. But that's not what the Bible says a saint is. The Bible never says that being a saint is based on anything that you do. Should we be doing those things? Absolutely. Should people be honored that are self-sacrificing? Absolutely. For the glory of God. But that's not what makes you a saint. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 it says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Here's how the Bible would define saints over and over again. Have you been called out of your sin into Christ? Yeah. Have you been washed by His blood and that alone, apart from anything you've done or will ever do? Yeah. Are you being sanctified in the name of Jesus Christ? Is He making you more and more like Christ every day? He's trying as good as He can. So, here's what God says. Apart from anything else but based on what I have done for you, church, you're a saint. Nick King is a saint. His sister said, whoo. Nick King is a saint. Daniel Durham is a saint. Vance Chapman is a saint. Ashley McDougall is a saint. Ashley Ingram, I'm sorry. Lane Perry is a saint. Fagan King is a saint. Nathan Peterson is a saint. Eddie Smith is a saint. Ronnie Lee is a saint. Kelby Rich is a saint. Not because of what they do, but because of what God has done for him. Now, if that don't make you feel good and that don't give you a reason to worship this morning, I'm going to tell you like the old preacher would tell you, your wood's wet if that don't get your fire going. Or I'm going to tell you like Jeff Matthews tell you, you crazier than a run over dog. <laughs> we are saints, people. By the grace of God, we are saints. And so he starts this out in verse 2 and he says, Guys, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want to get into that with you, but I can't. i got to keep moving. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so he starts out by saying because of His grace, because of what He has done for you to make you saints, He has already blessed you with everything He has to bless you with. And so now He's going to start naming off some of those spiritual blessings so that you can see who you are. And the first thing, the first blessing we see in verse 4. We see in verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. People, listen to me. And I'm not going to get into the doctrine of predestination this morning because we're studying that on Wednesday night. So if you want to be, get into that, come Wednesday night. We'll get deeper into that. We'll discuss it and we'll see what it says. But here's one thing that you will not be able to dispute in these, in these scriptures. Before the foundations of the earth were ever created. Y'all listen to this. Please grab this. It's been a long time since the foundations of the earth were laid, hasn't it? 
How many of you can remember a week ago? How many of y'all can remember yesterday? But let me tell you something about God. The Bible says that before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, He looked into the future and saw every one of you and He looked at you and He said, I choose you. choose you. Now we can debate who all's chosen and who's not chosen. Here's what I want you to know. The Bible says very plainly if you've heard the call of Jesus Christ in your life and if you know that he has called you to see your sin condition, to see your hopeless state without him and he has led you to call on the name of Jesus Christ and to cry out Father save me from my sin then I promise you this morning you are chosen. Because no one has their eyes open that God does not choose. Listen to me very carefully. I'm going to prove this to you this morning. You do not have any ability to choose God for yourself. Do we have responsibility to choose God? Absolutely we do. Do you have any ability in and of yourself to choose Him? No, you don't. Let me go through a few scriptures to explain why. Romans chapter 1 verse 21. It says, although they knew God, and I'll put these up here for you so you don't have to try to go to them. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Here's what he's saying right here. He's saying that you did you had no excuse not to know God. You could look around and even with creation alone, you know that there is a creator. Everybody falls under this. But even still, everybody did the same thing. They looked at the glory of an immortal God and then they looked at all the mortal things and they said, Hey, you know what? You look pretty amazing, but truth of the matter is we like this stuff better. And so we're not going to honor you. We're not going to give you thanks. Our hearts are not for you. And he says, okay, then let your heart be darkened. And let's move on down to a few more. In verse um, um, 24, it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In other words, He said, Listen, if you don't want me in my ways, I'll let you have your ways. And this is what a world looks like when you have your way. And then finally in verse 28 of the same chapter, in verse 28 he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You want to know why we are sinners and why we do the things we do? Because God said, okay, I'm going to let you have your way. And there is nothing in your heart. It's been given over to impurity. There's nothing in your mind. You are an enemy of God. You are in absolute rebellion against God. And you will not come to God on your own. Romans chapter 3. Let me go through a few more of these. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one what? Hang on a minute. Do any of us see God? Not in our heart, not in our mind. 
No one seeks for God because we are sinners. And then let's go through just a few more. Romans chapter 8 verse 7. Look what he says in Romans 8 verse 7. He says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what? It can not. You cannot choose God apart from God choosing you. One more scripture so that you can see where I'm coming from. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Just in the same way that God said, let light shine out of darkness, and what happened? There was light. Paul said the way that you came to know God is He chose you and He looked at your heart and He said, let light shine out of darkness because that's all that was there. And when you heard the gospel, God said, let there be light. And guess what happened? There was light. And because of that, you chose God. But not before He chose you. I can't help but go through just a few more scriptures because this is such a debatable issue. John chapter 6 verse 65. I want you to see what he says here. John chapter 6 verse 65. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Am I making my point clear this morning? Let me go just a few more. John chapter 15 verse 16. You did not choose me. But I, what? I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Why did God choose you? To bear fruit. Acts chapter 16 verse 14. Let's look at another example of Lydia. One who heard us from was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. A seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You want to know why some people don't come to saving faith as of yet? Because you cannot open your heart. Only God opens your heart to hear the gospel. Either God looks in your dark, rebellious heart and says, Let light shine out of darkness, or guess what? It don't shine out of darkness. And I know that raises a million questions. If you want to hear some of those questions, show up Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I promise you they will be addressed. But here's the point that I want to make because I don't want you to get caught up in this right here. I want you to feel the same unworthiness that Paul did. Paul knew that he brought nothing to the table. It wasn't his knowledge or his smarts that God looked and said, I could use the Apostle Paul. God can give that smarts and knowledge to anybody. God looked at the Apostle Paul before the foundations of the earth were ever created. He looked at Nick King and Kevin Wells and Johnny Thompson and Sean Collins and Fagan King. He looked at all of us before the foundations of the earth were ever created. And he said, I know they're not worthy. I know they don't deserve it. But I'm going to choose them. I don't even have time to get into the rest of this message so we may have to just do a part two next week I don't know that's probably what we're going to have to do but here's the point that I want you to see this morning you know I um, I love Austin uh, those of you that are visiting or don't know Austin is my three year old that is not my biological child 
Now, don't get me wrong. I know that everybody loves their children. I know that. But let me tell you, there's a lot of us that you don't get to choose your child. You got what you got. Appreciate that confession and that. <clears throat> you got what you got. And you love them. You do. But there's something special about someone who has the opportunity to look at a child that they don't have to do anything for. They don't have to do anything. Austin was not, he had nothing to offer me. But I had the great privilege of looking at him in a time of need and saying, I choose you to be my child. Guys, I want you to understand something this morning. Before the foundations of the earth were ever created, God saw every flaw you have. I'm telling you, we're some flawed people, ain't we? And God saw every flaw you had. How many of you can't stand your children because of their flaws? You hate them. No takers on that. In spite of all their flaws, you love your children, don't you? And you know what's funny to me as a pastor, I sit back and watch mamas and daddies and they'll defend their kids to the bitter end even if they know they're in the wrong. That's a parent's love. And guys, I want you to feel the weight of this this morning. When God looked before the foundations of the earth into all eternity and He saw you and all of your flaws and all of your failures, if you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have believed it and your eyes have been opened to it, God said, I choose you. Not because of anything that you bring to the table. Not because of anything that you are or you're not going to be. I choose you. Because I choose you. And I want you to be my child. Now if you can't feel that this morning, I'm telling you right now your wood is wet and the Lord ain't opened your heart yet. And I pray for you and I pray that He does. I can't open it for you. But I pray that you can feel the weight of that this morning. And that you can know. Listen, here's what God wants you to know this morning. Guys, I chose you. I know you're sinners. I know you're flawed. I know that you've got so many things that I've got to work out. But listen, I didn't choose you because you were perfect. I chose you because I wanted you. And now I am making you my child. I'm going to close this morning with that. I didn't even get a quarter of the way through this message. I know. I'm going to close with that this morning. It is my prayer, saints, that you can understand that as a church, the one thing that we have in common is we all have the same Father. And He chose me in all of my weaknesses and in all of my sin. And He chose you in all of your weaknesses and all of your sin. And no matter how frustrated we may get with each other or how much we offend each other, I pray that we can always come back to that. That listen, God chose us. He has adopted us.
And he loves us. And he has put us together as this family to grow into a temple for him to live in. And I pray that for those of you that haven't felt that this morning, maybe this morning is the morning that your eyes were open and you said, you know what, I've not had that experience where God showed me my sin and my need for Him, but I want to have that this morning. Listen, that's the calling of God. You're hearing it. You're hearing the call. God has opened your heart to pay attention. And if he has, it is my prayer this morning that you'll come and you'll take me by the hand. You'll say, Pastor, I don't know exactly what to do or how to do this, but would you help me find how to be the child of God? And I'd love nothing more than be able to walk you through scriptures and pray with you and study with you and help you be able to find your way in that. This morning, whatever it is that God's speaking to you, if you would, stand as the worship team comes. You did not choose me. I chose you. And I want you in spite of all that you are. I pray you feel the weight of that this morning. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you this morning, uh, if it's a time of worship, if you just want to humble yourself before Him to say thank you, or maybe you want to come this morning again and take me by the hand and, and, and ask me how do I become a child of God, I would love to be able to help you with that this morning. Whatever He's calling you to, Now is the time to respond as we sing.